Good morning. It's December. It is December. December, December. One more month. I cannot believe it. I know. Like the year is almost over. I know. Over 100 episodes. Freaking ridiculous. We got coffee this morning. We did. Still using that gift card that Jim got us. <laughs> <laughs> Greatly appreciate that. <laughs> we use it. We use it for recording. He he spoiled us a little rotten on that one. Seriously. Yeah. And bagels and Samantha is getting sick. Yeah, I know you're all really surprised by that, so I apologize for my nasally gross voice today. Yeah. But She's sick again. I'm sick again. It's always something. Never ending. But that is, that, I mean, remember a couple episodes ago when I was talking about yo-yo weather? Yeah. Yo-yo weather does that to you. It does. It was like 60, and now it's like 10. Right. <laughs> and cold and... Yucky. Yeah, and working, you know, like honestly, like in a car wash where water and that humidity is it's yucky. Probably gets in your lungs. And anyway, so but she's gonna push through it. I'm gonna We're push gonna through. make her work. Just for you guys. We're gonna make her do what she does because <laughs> we love you. There's no sickness. Oh Be tough. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Too funny. Samantha's bringing the case today. I am. And I'm actually a little nervous because she walks in and she's like, so Brighton, her husband Brighton, Brighton picked my case. <laughs> I'm like, shit. Yep. Brighton is, Brighton is, um, he's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. Yeah. I talk a lot of crap about him, especially on here. He's pretty smart. No, he's really fucking smart. <laughs> but you would he doesn't come across as like that arrogant in your face. Like if you're telling him something and you're and you're saying it wrong, he'll just nod his head and be like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He won't correct you. Like he's not an arrogant smart. Yeah. But if you ask him a question and then he'll play dumb. He does that. Mm -hmm. He does play dumb. Um but if he you actually get in a conversation with him, that man can freaking spout out random crap oh my god the most random crap and know it like in depth yeah he's actually annoying like that yeah so when i did this he gave me the idea and then i was researching it and then i made him like let me read it to him and he was like we need to change this because that's not completely true and i was like well this says that that's true he's like that's not true and i'm like okay so if you guys say anything's wrong with this episode message brighton <laughs> well <laughs> Okay. And go after him because okay. he fact checked me. So he fact checked you. He fact checked. He probably me. freaking did too. Uh huh. And he probably like he probably went on nerd. He went on nerd on you, didn't he? Yeah, and he pulled out like some of the situations in this case doesn't pull up when you do a regular search. He was like, you need to look up so and so specifically. So I don't know. I don't know how you remember names like that because I because he's freaking wicked smart. It's annoying. <laughs> But you would never know. Yeah. You would never, ever, ever know. Yeah. Because if, if he's not in charge and he's not taking the lead, he'll let you take the lead. He'll let you watch you and help you do it fucking wrong. <laughs> because he will not correct. He's not arrogant. Yeah. He isn't, he isn't arrogant about his, about his intellectual capacity. <laughs> well, and another thing about. And when you listen to this, if you listen to this, Brighton, I'm not giving you compliments. <laughs> Never. I'm just kidding. I love him. <laughs> I, I'm pretty fond of him. Yeah. But... And Brighton and I are like a team. I know. They gang up on me all the time. We do. 
Well, he something that he's an extra big nerd about is mop-related stuff. Oh, God. I knew it. You, <laughs> are you surprised? It's going to be something that could possibly get us killed. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the mob was a bigger deal in, like, the 70s, 80s than, I mean, like, I know that it, I, I know that it, it's still around mm-hmm. and it's still very, very prevalent, but I feel like we, people talked about it more. Yeah. Well, I'm interested to hear what your response is at the end of all this. Right. Well, I might not have one. (laughs) I value my life. (laughs) Yeah. I'll I'll fuck with serial killers, but you start talking about the mobs. That scares you more than serial killers. And I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, so we're today going to talk about the Gemini um, Gemini murders. You ever heard of this? I have not. Oh, I love when you haven't heard about things. Right. Okay. Well, I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is a suspended sentence. This is a Brighton case. It is a Brighton case. I'm just the carrier of the the information. All right. Give it to me. All right. During the 1970s and 80s. I told you. Yep. I told you 70s and 80s. See, I am arrogant about my intellectual. (laughs) She knows something. She says she doesn't know anything. There we are. The infamous DeMeo crew of the Gambino family. Oh, God. He um, went hard. Yep. Were responsible for countless murders and disappearances in New York City. Allegedly. Nope. They're convicted. Okay. <laughs> Headed by the violent and vital um, Roy DeMeo. The cr- criminal uh, group consisted of car thieves, killers, psychopaths. Um, and however, two mobsters stood out particularly ruthless in, the, in this part of the family. So I don't really know a whole lot about, like mob workings like i know like names like gambino like i know that name right sure and so i was like i don't understand they're a part of the gambino but it's the DeMeo group and he was like so how i rationalized my head is gambino's corporate and then there's like the little franchises (laughs) right because there's so many like soldiers for each group which is what they called themselves it's the soldiers of right so that's how this is a little franchise of the DeMeos, but they're a part of the Gambino family. <laughs> I didn't understand you that. I was like, that. yeah, so like it's corporate and these are the sub. <laughs> well, that's it makes sense in my brain like that because I was like, wait, so who's the boss? And he's like, well, technically this is the leader, but this is so-and-so. Okay. So okay. I digress. I'm with you. So if you're like me and don't know anything, there's a dumbed down version of that for you. Perfect. Um, two people stood out among, like, more than everybody else is more ruthless, so. This was Joseph Testa and Anthony Center, childhood friends known as the Gemini Twins, because they were always together and they had become an integral part of the DeMeo Mafia group because of their willingness to commit crimes, especially murders, on behalf of their criminal bosses. Anthony Centaur was born in 1955 in Brooklyn, New York, to, um, to immigrant parents, Michael Centaur, they were from northern Italy. One thing I did find interesting is for both of the, for pretty much everybody, I could find who their dads were, but not who, like, their moms or their wives were, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me. Well, it's not interesting. In Brighton, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe that women were very, very protected. We'll talk about that in a minute. Are they not? Well, Brighton says yes, but then as we get into some of the things that happened, No. Rivals will go after their wives, right? Yeah, and their own crew. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. It doesn't make sense I don't to know, me. But, I mean, you want to 
from, I mean, what I, in the cases that I know, which I don't know anything, <laughs> like you don't fuck with a man's wife. Yeah. Or his kids. But I don't know, but keep on with your story before I show <laughs> how, you know, ignorant I really am. <laughs> so the original family name was Sente, and they later changed it to Center. Um, his uncle. Why? Sente sounds so much better. Right. His uncle was a Gambino associate as well, and his name was Robert Center. He owned a recycling company in Brooklyn. And as a young man, Anthony would work for both his father's small debris removal company and his uncle's sanitation company. Anthony Center would later marry an Italian-American woman in July of 1977 at a catering hall in Brooklyn. The wedding was attended by many criminals, including Gambino crime family member Roy DeMeo. Joseph Tessa, Testa was born in 1955 in Brooklyn as well and was one of nine children born to a transport truck driver. And his brother Patrick would also become a mobster joining the DeMeo crew. So it's running in the family a little bit. Mm-hmm. But growing up, Anthony became really good friends with Joseph. Um, when Joseph was 15, a 13-year-old neighbor was mugged at gunknife um, by a Puerto Rican man. Gunknife? Or gunpoint. Oh, okay. Sorry. I mean, gunknife could be a thing. I mean, it could be. I mean, Sounds really scary. At knife point by a Puerto Rican man in what, um, East New York. The assault vect- um, victim complained to Joseph, who then gathered Anthony along with others, borrowed a car, and spent the entire day searching for the guy that had us- like assaulted him. In 1973, Joseph, who will from now on go by Joey, um, was later killed in a bar fight with a Puerto Rican opponent when the assailant's knife punctured his lung. Mm. Anthony hunted down this man and beat him nearly to death with his fists. Yeah. So they're starting pretty young with, like, getting it done. Getting it done. By 1970, at the age of 15, Anthony had already been convicted of auto theft three times. Oh, wow. He used to learn to be. <laughs> yep. Joey and Anthony had all of their cases dismissed, though, because they were juveniles. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really get into too much trouble for that. Yeah. Um, so the next player here is Chris Rosenberg, who at this time was 16 years old when he hired Anthony and Joey to wax his Corvette and his Porsche and also start selling cars for him. Mm. When I read that, I was like, Does that, is that a typo? At 16, he hired somebody to clean his Corvette and his Porsche for him? Interesting. <laughs> so Rosenberg introduced his friends Anthony and Joey to Roy DeMeo, who then asked him to join their crew. DeMeo, Rosenberg, um, Center, and Testa became the core of the DeMeo crew um, and became notorious for their ruthless violence. The crew would be suspected of being involved in between 75 to 200 murders between the mid-1970s and the early 1980s. Anthony gained a reputation prover- uh, for providing the crew with significant revenue from his auto theft skills. And although Anthony was a large earner for the Gemini Lounge crew, he was highly disliked by Albert DeMeo, the son of Roy DeMeo. Albert's personal judgment was that he was, quote, something slick and phony about him. Hmm. By the night, late 1970s, um, Rosenberg was very <coughs> involved in dry- the drug trade as well as um, his business with the DeMeo crew that had given him a very prosperous lifestyle. Um, He was living in a very nice neighborhood, and when he was not working, he was trading for his pilot's license. He owned a number of businesses, including a pizzeria and a body shop, um, but was very heavily involved in drug trafficking, so importing marijuana from Colombia and dealing with large quantities of cocaine. Um, And he was 
Roy DeMeo is second in command at this time. Mm. So he decided that he would start referring to himself as Chris DeMeo because he said that Roy was like a father to him. Yeah. So he changed it from Rosenberg. It was going by Chris DeMeo. Cool. Roy had become, like I said, a father figure to him. The tr um, crew developed an um, efficient way of making sure that their victims were never to be seen again. This method of disposing of bodies became known as the Gemini method after the crew's hangout at the Gemini lounge. It was a process of disposing with um, disposal that proved an effective means of eliminating any rivals. Um, on June 13th of 1975, Anthony and Joseph committed their first murders on behalf of Roy DeMeo. Um, his name was Andre Katz, who was a young auto repair shop owner um, who had been partners with DeMeo in a stolen car ring. But however, by late 1974, a conflict that had erupted between Katz and the DeMeo crew um, ended up with Katz being lured into a Manhattan apartment complex and being abducted by the group. He was taken to a meat department of a supermarket in Rockaway Beach, Queens, where he was stabbed multiple times in the heart in the back, in the back with a butcher's knife. He was then dismembered by DeMeo um, and Henry Borelli, along with Anthony and Joey. Of the murders committed by the DeMeo crew, this is considered their first murder as, as a crew. <sighs> um, so it was said that at least eight of the Gemini eight crew members were involved in this murder, two of which being the Gemini twins, Anthony and Joey. In June of 1977, 23-year-old Jerome Hoffaker was shot and killed by Anthony and Joey for getting in a fistfight with Joey's little brother, Dennis. Mm -hmm. So by this time, their boss, DeMeo, had made, um, made, was a very made man in the Gambino family. He was like, get up there in ranks, I guess. Mm -hmm. Your face, <laughs> you're just like, I'm going to listen and then I'll give my opinion in a few. So this is kind of where we got in the discussion of women and Brighton made me change what I said. So Brighton corrected me too. Many women were innocently killed in mob activity. I said, clearly people don't care about women in mob atmosphere because when you look up the list of victims for the DeMeo family crimes, like family crew, mm -hmm. It'll have, like, a husband and then the wife. And then a cliff note of the husband in the group or whoever being killed and the wife coming looking for their husband. And they'll just kill her, too. Yeah. And Brighton's like, my issue. If you know your husband's a criminal, don't follow up on stuff like that. And I was like, do you know how many women were murdered in this? Because they were just looking for their husbands? Mm -hmm. But there's rules. See, that's the thing, and I don't know, maybe I'm talking too prematurely, right? But, like, and I'm not saying, yeah, I guess I am. Like, it's organized it's organized religion. <laughs> it's organized crime. It's not like, it's not like people who, you know, the criminals of today that just go and kill people for no reason or do the ridiculous things that people do now. Like, mob shit was all for a reason. People didn't die for no reason. People didn't get their ass kicked for no reason. Yeah. And if you're in the mob life, like there are rules and the women know the rules. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just makes me like, I'm like, I, re I was reading those and I'm like, man, she just like has six kids at home and was like, where's my, my husband didn't come home from work last night from his meeting. Like, oh, I'm going to go check on him. No, no, no. Nope. You're like, dead. But you're in it, like you yeah. you know, and you know what the consequences are, and you know 
you know. Yeah. Now, had they not gone and looked for him and they hadn't started asking questions, I mean, what was she going to do? I think from, from the mob's perspective, what is she going to do if she finds her dead husband? She's going to call the cops. She's going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it'll start a big, a big whatever. Like, everything was done internally. And it's organized. It's not like just random, you fuck them over, you pay, yeah. right? And that's the other thing, right? And I mean, this is really the way that, I mean, my generation operated. If you fuck with somebody's family, their older sibling is coming for you. Yeah. I, I, and I just think of it like, and that was more like a generation thing too. Like if anybody ever fucked with me when I was in junior high or high school, oh my God, Christine, my sister would beat their asses. Yeah. I mean, if you had an older sibling or you fucked with somebody's family, I, you get all of them. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I guess. And it really is. I mean, the mob really is, I don't want to, I don't want to call it like a community or whatever like that, but it is like you mess with one of them. You're going to mess with all of them. Yeah. You leave them alone. Yeah. And you don't just go messing with them if you don't have reason to. Sure. Okay. Anyway. He made me change it to saying that innocently killed by the mob. Uh, <laughs> all it would take is the feeling that she knew too much, kind of like what yeah. you were just saying, um, and that they were probably going to cave under scrutiny from a prosecutor. So. He kept it internal. This is one of the things that I could not really, like, I found eventually after Brighton gave me names. This was the fate for Cherie Golden. 19-year-old brown-haired beauty with brown eyes who had been wooed by John Quinn, a married married mobster with six kids in Long Island. He showed Cherie off at many Little Italy restaurants, and unfortunately, he also took Cherie along while negotiating purchase of hot cars at a number of cho- um, chop shops that he ran. His superiors in the mob did not like that he was, like, always with Cherie. Yeah. He was like, they were like, you're married, you need to, like, she's not a part of this, keep her out of it. And they warned Quinn to dump Cherie. He refused and he got in lots of trouble with like the head ups. Mm -hmm. Suddenly it looked like he was a prime um, candidate for becoming a turncoat. And that made Quinn an obvious hit candidate. So he's a member of their crew, but they're like, he's got to go. He wasn't listening. (laughs) There are rules. It's organized. (laughs) There are rules. And the reason that they're so successful is because those rules are honored. And there's, it's an element of extreme respect. Yeah. So, Quinn was invited to a mob meeting in Brooklyn Tavern. Can you imagine saying no? Like, I, no. Like, you're... <laughs> After reading you're, these, no way. No. You're afraid to say no to me. Now, imagine if I would be like, I'm going to slice your head off or stab you if you say no to me. Like, wh- he's... What's so funny is you look these people up and they just look like... Normal people. Normal little, like... Well, now they're like all old white men, but... You know what I mean? Like, they just don't look like not white they're telling but like looking at the <laughs> pictures like you know yeah. what i mean like they don't look scary these people do not look scary right which is right even they're, scarier they're business owners they were oh yeah respectful yeah so quinn was invited to a mob meeting at a brooklyn tavern with roy de mayo um and quinn decided to bring sharia along and left her outside in the car he went inside and was promptly killed like Obviously. immediately upon arrival Shree did not hear any gunshots, and so she's just sitting out in the car when Anthony and Joey came out to the car and started flirting with her, one on each side of the vehicle. 
As one of them, one of the men would distract her, she would turn her head toward him, and the other one would pull out a gun and shoot her. As her head whipped back, she would take another bullet from the other side. That was their, like, signature thing, because they're the Gemini twins, right? Mm -hmm. So, shoot on each side of the head. Um, <clears throat> the killers disposed of her body, removing her halter top that she was wearing to give the police a possible sexual angle to investigate. Mm -hmm. So, she was just... 19-year-old girl sitting in a car. Hey, she's fucking with a married man. Yeah. The DeMeo crew had... she's not innocent. I know. It's just I sad mean... still. <laughs> Are you pro-mob? <laughs> I'm not. I just... I, there is. I mean, it's almost... I, And I'm not going to say that I respect what they do, but I mean... Yeah. They didn't... They didn't kill for no reason. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> I, there was a reason. Oh, man. And the whole basis of it is respect. Yeah. Like I said, do what I said. Yeah. So the DeMeo crew had perfected their method of executing rival mobsters, government informants, anyone that crossed DeMeo or his superiors. And like I said earlier, this became known as the Gemini method. This was named after the lounge that they used as their headquarters. Um, and this, so this, I know, trigger warning, but... <laughs> The victim would typically be lured in on the pretense of having a meeting with an upper yep. mobster, right? Um, there, a member, usually Roy DeMeo himself, would put a silenced pistol to the back of their head and shoot you. He would take a wrapped towel and cover the wound immediately to stem the fl flow of blood. While another member, often Chris Rosenberg, would stab the victim in the heart to prevent more blood, your, to get your heart to stop pumping so the blood would stop going out of the wound. Oh, they're smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get it done. Yeah. <laughs> By then, the victim would be dead, and they would be then dragged into the bathroom so that the remaining blood could be drained out. Before they would put plastic sheets laid out, and the process of dismemberment would begin. With the arms, legs, head cut off, so sectioning out. The body parts would then be placed in bags, and then the bags would be set, placed into boxes, where then they would be sent to the dump at Fountain Avenue in Brooklyn. So, the, all of these, they just sent them to the dump. They put them in the garbage. Mm -hmm. And it's Brooklyn, New York. I can't imagine what the dump there. I mean, right. good luck ever finding anything. Right. I thought that was so wild. I was like, I mean, that's smart. <laughs> you didn't think they were dumb, did you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> So on May 16th of 1979, Michael DiCarlo, a Lucchese associate, which is like another family, one of the five families in New York, um, Capo, which Brighton informed me is like the boss, Capo's the boss, <laughs> um, he um, would be murdered in the same fashion. So he's a boss for another family. His death was ordered by, a Luke by another Lucchese member for raping a young boy. See? Mm-hmm. DiCarlo was shot, stabbed, beaten, and sodomized by DeMeo, Joseph, um, Guillermo, Danny Grillo, Henry Borgali, Anthony, and Joey. All of them yeah. <laughs> sodomized him and then killed, yeah, him. killed him. And then he was dismembered and taken to the dump. On November 14th of 1978, 44-year-old DeMeo... Suffered the exact same fate, so he was lured into the Gemini Lounge, and, and there he was shot dis and dismembered by Roy DeMeo, 
Chris Rosenberg, Anthony, and Joseph as a punishment for racking up a gambling debt and acquiring a drug addiction. The Gemini method was used to disappear the victims, and their remains, like I said, are usually not ever found. I like the wordage, <laughs> to disappear the people. <laughs> disappear the people. Um, but not all of the DeMeo crew uh, members were murdered in this way. Some, uh, such as police informants, were killed and their bodies left on the streets of New York to serve as a message or a warning to others. Mm-hmm. So, in 1979, uh, he visited Florida to set up a cocaine deal with Lone Shark customer Roy DeMeo, Chris um, Rosenberg did, um, who had entered the drug business in an attempt to pay off the, some debts. This man, Charles Padnick, was acquainted with a Cuban man named William Serrano. And Serrano had connections with two Cuban drug merchants known as Pepin and El Negro. He was informed by Padnick that the group of Italians were interested in purchasing a large quantity of cocaine. After he met with Rosenberg, who introduced himself as Chris DeMeo, uh. <laughs> Serrano told his Cuban associates that, he, that the deal was set up, although Rosenberg was never informed of Serrano's source of the drugs. He thought he was getting them from them, not the Cubans. So a group of four comprising of Charles Padnick and William Serrano, as well as the cousin and girlfriend of Serrano's Cuban drug connection, El Negro, flew to New York to facilitate, facilitate the deal. Within hours of landing, they were shot to death, dismembered, and disposed of um, by Rosenberg and some other members of the DeMeo crew. Oof. Yeah. The same night, Rosenberg visited a hospital with gunshot wounds to his hand and on the side of his head, suggesting that the group had tried to fight back before being killed. When the mysterious El Negro did not receive a phone call from his cousin or his girlfriend um, that night to ensure that the sale had been completed, he contacted Charles Padnick's son Jamie in attempt to get more information. Jamie Padnick then flew to New York and shortly after also disappeared and was murdered. Oh my god. <sighs> By Rosenberg and his fellow crew members. With the only information available being the location of New York City and the name Chris DeMeo, the Cubans had contacts um, there to inquire and eventually um, the situation led to Roy DeMeo. It's pretty mm-hmm. <laughs> common, like yeah. Hmm, New York City, DeMeo, I wonder who it is, <laughs> leads them pretty quick back. This also led them to the um, Gambino family. Dominic um, Monte- Montego, the nephew of DeMeo's superior, Anthony Gaghi, um, became a government witness in 1983. Uh-oh. Yep. And claims that he was in charge of delivering messages back and forth between the Cubans' contact in New York um, and the Gambinos. El Negro stated that if Chris Rosenberg was murdered, that there would be no further conflict between them. The murder would have to be in the newspaper, though. Otherwise, they did not believe that it actually occurred. Mm. So they were like, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll be done with this. but We'll call a cru- truce if you kill him, but it's very public. So the DeMeo crew was really, like, paranoid at this point, right? Sure. Because they haven't killed Chris yet. They're like, that's what they want to make this stop. So DeMeo publicly executed a college student named Dominic um, Ragucci on April 19th of 1979 after mistaking him for a Cuban hitman. Oh, no. So after he realizes this mistake, the crew goes into hiding and um, Joseph and Anthony flee to California. Um, So Rosenberg clearly was never informed that 
this was his the, the Cuban's request for him to be executed. Oh no. Um so he had no idea that his life was in danger. On May 11th of 17 or 1979, he went to the regular nightly meeting at the DeMeo, with DeMeo and his crew. And as they all sat at the table with his associates, DeMeo pulled out a pistol out of a brown bag sitting on the table and shot Rosenberg in the head, wounding but not killing him. When Rosenberg got up off the floor and stumbled onto one knee, Anthony stood up and shot him four more times in the head. Rosenberg's body was then placed in his car, which was then driven and left parked on a street near the Gateway National Recreation Center in New York City. Crew member Frederick Dinome then drove by the vehicle while Henry Borelli raked it with machine gun fire. Getting everyone's attention. Yeah. It's got to be in the media. Um, they did this enough to guarantee that that would be mentioned in the local newspaper. This gave the Cubans proof of the killing and this diffused the situation. Witnesses claim for years afterwards, DeMeo expressed genuine guilt for having to kill Rosenberg. Sure. He was like a son to him. Yeah. So he, like, for a while didn't leave his house, was drinking really heavily, like, was very upset about this. After the murder of Rosenberg, Joey became Roy's um, right-hand man. Because of the growing number of missing persons cases and their continued criminal activities, DeMeo crew came under increasing police pressure and investigation. Anthony and Joey were given more responsibility and were soon trusted by Gaggi, um, DeMeo's superior of the crime family. And on April 29, 1981, 65-year-old Lucchese associate James Bennett was set to testify against the DeMeo crew member, Richard Mancingello, who would never make it to court. Um, Bennett was ambushed and shot twice in the head by the Gemini twins. Oof. Yep. By 1982, the FBI had begun investigating DeMeo and his business dealings, as well as a large number of people that had went missing who were linked to him in the Gemini Lounge. At some point, um, it was learned that through an FBI wire surveillance that Paul Castellino had put, put, had put a contract out on DeMeo, but was having difficulty finding someone to perform the hit. So yeah. the contract was then given to Frank um, DiCocco, who... Um, but he and his crew could not get close enough to DeMeo to finish the job. And eventually, um, DiCocco handed the job over to DeMeo's own men. Oh, my God. Right? So in his final days, Roy DeMeo was paranoid. And according to his son, Albert, he knew that soon he was going to be killed. <clears throat> sure. Like the vibe just changed. It changed. Yeah. Changed up on him. And on January 18th of 1983, DeMeo's partially frozen body was found in the trunk of his Cadillac. He had been shot multiple times in the head with a bullet wound um, to his hand, indicating that he had raised his arm in defense of his killers. Two of the bullet wounds were to the back of the head, were consistent with the method used by Joseph and Anthony. Oh, I know. Or it was copycatted. I know, to make it look like they were a part right. of it. Ooh. Who knows? Um, Nino Gaggi was suspected of being the one who personally killed DeMeo, but he was never charged with that crime. After the murder of DeMeo and the breakup of his crew, Anthony and Joseph drifted over to the Lucchese crime family. That's, oh. like, wild to me that he was oh. they changed families there. Um, which, at the time, was under the leadership of Vic um, Amsuno and, the underbo- and his underboss, Anthony Gaspipe Casso. And it was during their tenure of boss that Lucchese family would witness an unprecedented act of bloodletting 
in which they would, um, which they suspected everyone of being informants. And later in 1988, the entire New Jersey fraction of the Lucchese family would go into hiding to escape their famous order to, quote, whack Jersey. Oh, man. So it was an atmosphere of pure paranoia, and Anthony and Joey became associates for them. They were like, yep, we're in. January of 1988, Anthony and Joey were put on trial. So they finally were arrested. Like, the cops have been watching them for, what, years now? Right. So they're finally put on trial after previously being arrested as a part of a larger five-year investigation into mob-related murders committed by the Gambino, Gambino fam, crime family, specifically the DeMeo crew. Originally, the case began with 78-count indictment filed under um, the United States Attorney General in 1984. But because there were so many charges, the original judge assigned the case um, to Kevin Thomas Duffy, who divided it into two separate cases. And the original trial would begin in October of 1985, and six of the eight defendants were convicted after being accused of stealing hundreds of cars um, in a car theft ring in New York, mm-hmm. which we know right. <laughs> some of our boys in the story are yeah. very good at. Mm-hmm. The second trial would last 17 months. It was part of a racketeering investigation um, into the DeMeo crew and five murders that were linked to the crew. The main charges against the defendants were the murders committed by the Gambino crime family who operated out of the Brooklyn apartment. Over the many months of the trial, prosecutor Walter Mack displayed to the jury a gruesome evidence that the DeMeo crew had murdered um, scores of people, often dismembering them. And in, in all, the case included evidence of 25 murders. Damn. Prosecutors believed that the crew's murders numbered in the dozen that they could prove, but the court heard testimony from um, 207 witnesses. Oh, wow. Are they still alive? <laughs> right? That's what I go to. Um, one of those witnesses, his name was Vito Arena, a longtime car theft, armed robber, and former member of the DeMeo crew. Jurors were shocked by the stories that um, Vito would share as on the witness stand. It was the aim of prosecution to prove that at least five of those people murdered in the course of the auto theft ring operation. The group allegedly stole thousands of cars from the streets of New York City from late 1970s to early 1980s and shipping them to destinations as far away as Puerto Rico and Kuwait. Um, or sometimes even just chopping them into parts and selling them mm-hmm. in the city. Um so, Vito, who was serving an 18-year sentence for the murder of Joseph Scorny, testified in the trial in order to win lenient treatment on outstanding charges against him that were still, still pending there. <laughs> in a matter-of-fact testimony, Vito recalled how, I'm going to say this guy's name wrong, Cahald Durid and Ronald Falcaro were lured into an auto body shop owned by um, Freddie Denome in October of 1979. Um, so he stated that they that those two men came in and he was sitting outside waiting and he heard shots. Boom, boom. And when he went inside, both of the men were dead. And he had said that one of the guys had tried to run and they were only able to shoot him from behind, but the other one just went down, no problem. He said, and this is a quote from him, they told me the Arab... Um, went right down but ronnie tried to run out the door roy said we've been um, we've got to cut him up and then he told him to go get the knives 
Roy then instructed Henry and I, believe it or not, to go out and buy some pizza. It wasn't, and then he, so the, apparently he says this in the courtroom and starts laughing. Which I don't think is like, I don't know that that would be my reaction. Is like, oh yeah, so they're like, we're standing over these dead bodies. And he's like, hey, go pick us up some pizza. Right. I don't know that if I was sitting in a murder trial that that would be funny to me. But, I mean, you guys do you. (laughs) (sighs) I mean, clearly they wanted them out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So, they did that. And then when... Yeah, what are you going to say? I'm not really hungry right now. I mean, what are you... <laughs> right. <laughs> Actually, you pizza... Say? I'm not really feeling pizza at the moment, <laughs> Roy, but thanks. So Vito said after they started laughing, it really wasn't that funny. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't personally find it that funny. <laughs> yeah. He said then that Roy, Joey, Anthony, and Freddie, and then he said we, meaning um, um, Henry Borelli and Center, so he- Anthony Center... We're told to start bagging up. Oh, my so God. they started bagging up. The bodies then were cut into pieces, stuffed into bags, and then the bags placed into boxes. After 13 days of deliberation, verdicts were given. Seven of the defendants were found guilty, and 34-year-old Anthony and Joey were sentenced to life in prison, with the other five defendants um, facing terms of more than 20 years. Judge Vincent Broderick said that the pro- said that the prosecutors had established that the defendants were responsible for so much um, ev- uh, violence that they could not be permitted to le- remain free. So, Anthony and Joey were both sentenced to, like I said, life imprisonment. Uh, Anthony Centaur was sent to serve his sentence at the United States Penitentiary in Allenwood, Pennsylvania, and. Um, Testa was imprisoned in the Federal Correctional Institute in Terminal Island. But Anthony Centaur (laughs) was granted parole as of 2023 and is scheduled for release on June 22nd of 2024. Ooh. So. So. Not sure why Anthony's getting out from his life sentence. Oh, really? Really? Why? I mean, I don't really want to freaking say, but I mean, come on, right? Thinking it snitched? Yes. Then he's going to get dead when he comes out. I mean, I don't... If we all don't think the mob is still very active, we're all very wrong. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's a reason Tracy's not fucking talking this episode. (laughs) you're, You're saying, if you're saying that that crew is not still very active, you're very wrong. A, they left the crew and went to another crew. Right. B, if he's getting out because he did snitch. Oh, they're waiting for him. So. And if they're not, he's going to have a thriving YouTube career. He will not have a thriving YouTube career. I don't know. There's all those other, like, mobsters that are out making YouTube videos yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe. He's talking about all the people they've killed and how they killed them. and Yeah, but, I mean, I feel like, nah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even want to say anything, to be honest with you. A, it's a completely different time. I mean, how things were when he went in is not how things are going to be when he gets out. Yeah. I mean, he's so far behind the curve in just technology and communication. Well, he's going to be, what, like fifth, late 50s, early 60s by the time he gets out. Right. I mean, unless he took some great technology classes in prison... Why why did you make that sound like that like his career is over? Yeah, I mean, yeah. honestly think about that. I'm almost 50. Yeah. 
And there's a really, really good possibility that I could beat the shit out of any 20-year-old that's walking. You know yeah, what I mean? Fair enough, I mean. And he's coming out of prison, which means that he's not coming out some fat, lazy piece of shit that hasn't been, like, paying attention to his body and his physique and his game. Yeah. A lot of people die in prison, so I'm kind of shocked that if he was, like, A, just for going to, the, like, a different crew. Like right. A different family. I'm honestly shocked that somebody didn't. Right. Fuck him up in jail. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, the mob never fucking forgets. I'll tell you what. They don't fucking forget. I mean, when you do shit to, I mean, there isn't forgive and forget and move on and whatever. Oh, man. I mean, it's to the grave. I saw, now I'm going to forget his name. This is not even the same family. This is the Chicago mob thing. But I saw this TikTok the other day that was a clip of another podcast. And it's a ex-mobster that served 20 years in jail. And he got out, and I'll post it in on the post who it is because I'll look up his name. And he was talking about he has a, um, like, 16-year-old son at the time that this happened. And he gets a call from his ex-wife and is like, hey, your son's in jail. And he's like, what the fuck? Why? And he gets a hold of his son, and his son said, I just wanted to be like you, Dad. And his, his son, 16-year-old son had killed somebody. And he was like, and that's when I realized, like, even though I've been out of the game. Yeah. Like, how that's perceived. He's like, I've been out of the game. But, like, that's how he thinks of me. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, you don't really think about it, like like that you know he's like i'm out of prison i've got my shit together i'm sober now i'm like i've got my stuff together i'm not in that anymore he's like but that's how my kids see me yeah i'm like damn did i ever tell you my mob story no what mob story are you a member of the mob no 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 absolutely not no but like straight out of high school i graduated high school when i was 17 and straight out of high school, I took a job um, in my first semester of college. I took a job as a nanny. And um, I loved this family so much. They had three little kids, um, which was a lot. Um, <laughs> but so I take this job and the the lady that I nannied for, her and I became friends, like pretty decent friends. And um, they they traveled a lot. Now I'm like having to go back into my vault of a memory and remember Um, but they were gone a lot. So they were gone. Her and her husband were gone like Sunday evening through like Thursday night. And I lived in their house. Like I'd lived there. And so when she was home and I'm not even saying her name, when she was home, like our big thing was salsa chips and diet Mountain Dew. And we would like sit and watch like TV nonstop and just eat tons of freaking salsa and chips and drink a God awful amount of diet Mountain Dew. And one time she told me a story one night, she told me the story about how her dad was in the mafia and that he had gotten killed. Like he got, he, he betrayed them and he was killed. And she's like, and we like, she told me like the whole story, like all of it and was like, we didn't after he after he was killed my her mom wanted to like no that's not what happened look at the evidence and we got messages like leave it the fuck alone if you don't want to die 
leave it the fuck alone and don't ever mention it again. And then I was like, why are you telling me then? And she's like, well, I mean, I'm sure that enough time has passed now. And I was like, not a cool story. Not cool, sis. And then went to bed, whatever, wake up the next morning. And she got up really, really early because she was catching an early morning flight. She comes downstairs and she's like, um, so maybe I'm not going to be going. And I was like, oh no, what happened? And she's like, come look at the front lawn. And in the front lawn (laughs) was steak knives. I'm not shitting you. This actually fucking happened. Like this is not like delusional memory. There were probably a hundred steak knives in the lawn. I don't know if it was random. I don't know if it was not, but, but I'm telling you, but I'm telling you talks about the mafia and the mob do not sit comfortable on my radar. Yeah, if you wake up tomorrow so literally, and there's like steak knives. Fuck off, Brighton. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. My son-in-law and I are going <laughs> to have some words. No, this shit like, I mean, like you said, it's very very real. It's very real. Now, I will I will say that, I mean, most of it, though, I mean, like I said in the beginning, like, they don't just randomly kill people unless you're a college student and they're paranoid at. But, like, still. It's terrifying. Or the, his, the girlfriend that just right. came along. Well, and, she should have known better. I mean, they're so brutally murdering people. Yeah. I mean, And yeah. he, I mean, 20, probably like 25, probably more, let's be honest. We don't know because they're I'm not going to be honest about anything. They're honorable, organized <laughs> crime. They don't kill anybody I for no reason. I think it's freaking <laughs> freaky that he's getting out. Oh, me too. I think me that's too. so freaky. Me too. Can we end this one? Are we done? So would you like to come talk to us? No. Thank you. Anthony. No, we're good. Give good us a luck call. to you, Anthony. We'll like your TikToks. <laughs> Subscribe to your YouTube. We'll subscribe to your YouTube. No, maybe we won't. No. We're staying neutral. We're wearing beige and keeping our mouths shut. Oh, yeah, because if he is a snitch. Yeah. Just kidding, Gambino family, Lucchese family, whoever's mad. I don't know who's mad. We're neutral. I don't know anything. We're neutral. We don't know anything. I'm just a teenage girl. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that one, Sam. All right, guys. Thank you. (laughs) Stay safe.